Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have done it all for us in Jesus Christ, that, Lord, you've taken the pressure off, that sense of uh, knowing that we in ourselves could not be good enough. And, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for the times and the ways in which we, we look for performance-related outcomes with you, Lord. We, we, we hope that, that you'll love us because of our performance. Sorry, Lord, we sometimes just so often think that way and act that way. And Lord, help us to be children of grace, children of the promise, children of our Heavenly Father. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us afresh as a father speaks to his children. And Lord, we thank you for the great privilege that that we're involved in your work, that we are co-workers with you in Christ, that you have, you have saved us and rescued us for a purpose and for a reason, not just to enjoy sweet fellowship and friendship with us, but Lord, that we may partner with you. We thank you for this amazing privilege that, that you have made us worthy to, to walk with you and to, to minister with you and work with you for the good of other people. Lord, we're just amazed that you have given us a purpose in life, And Lord, you've restored, in fact, the purpose that we may be those who uh, rule and reign in your name and humbly for your glory. Lord, that we are a blessing in this world, that you've put us uh, to be like royalty in this world and yet humble royalty. Lord, to rule over the earth and to take care of it. Lord, to have dominion over it. Lord, help us to have the selflessness and the love and the strength of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ, who is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that every decision, every moment would be for your glory and for the blessing of other people, for the blessing of this planet. Lord, for the blessing of your world. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us as we reflect on how you speak to us through Scripture. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would speak to us afresh and strengthen us to be those who transform our world for your glory and in your strength. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got here uh, a gift, and uh, it looks sort of fairly straightforward. It's got little Santa Claus on it, and... uh, It certainly looks like a Christmas present, but it may not be what it first appears to be. But let's have a look inside. So I have unwrapped the Christmas paper. Always good to rip it off. And let's see what's inside. It's an Easter egg. A Rolo Easter egg. It's a bit surprising, isn't it, to to get something wrapped in Christmas paper that is actually an Easter egg. It's like two parts of the year, two of our big festival moments, our big celebration moments of the year coming together, Christmas and Easter. And it's a bit strange if you were, for instance, to have a Christmas tree and underneath the Christmas tree, there were just loads and loads of Easter eggs and perhaps little cards on them that said things like Happy Father's Day and Happy Mother's Day. And if we got things like that, we'd sort of be a bit confused as to what's going on or wonder what time of the year really is it? And you know, on Palm Sunday, the disciples were thinking along those lines. They were, they were thinking, I don't really understand what's going on. Our Bible passage that Rodney read for us and that Rhiannon talked about as well, it says in that passage that 
The disciples didn't understand too much later what was going on because what was really happening was for them, it was like that scene of a Christmas tree with lots of presents underneath and inside them Easter eggs and Happy Father's Day and Mother's Day cards. It was like everything coming together at once. It was like overwhelming. What does it all mean if all these celebrations come together as one as Jesus rides into Jerusalem. And John, the gospel writer, is trying to explain that to us in a very small number of words by just referring to different declarations and verses from the Old Testament. And so he says, he records what the people are shouting by the power of the Holy Spirit, unbeknownst to them, really, as Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Hosanna, they shout, which really means the Lord saves. It's like a constant prayer, Lord, save us, but also, Lord, we trust you will save us. It's like the Lord saves. Praise the Lord for doing that. And then, Hosanna is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is the King of Israel. And I'm sure it wasn't just as neat as all that. There was, there was lots of different shouts, people di- shouting each of those different things. But John records them in that order for a very particular reason. Hosanna would have really resounded with the, the celebration of Passover. As we've heard earlier on in the service, Passover is about deliverance, it's about liberty, it's about freedom from slavery in Egypt. And so Hosanna is about declaring, Lord, save us. And so it would have been really filled in really well with Passover, the fact of, of freedom from slavery, remembering the fact that at Passover, the sacrifice was made of the, of the young unblemished lamb and the people were brought out of Egypt and they were brought through the Red Sea into the place of safety. And then... Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, we had those verses at the very start of the service. They're from Psalm 118. And of course, the Jews who were gathered together that day, they knew their Bible really, really well. They would have known exactly what it was they were shouting and where it came from. The end of Psalm 118. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's that verse. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. And listen to this. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. In other words, what the people were doing that day was what was written in Psalm 118. They were, they were shaking boughs, branches, palms in the air, and they were going with Jesus. They were going up towards the temple to the horns of the altar. But what happens at the horns of the altar? What happens on the altar? It's sacrifice that happens on the altar. And so this psalm is all about going back to the place of sacrifice, the place where we meet God is in the place of sacrifice. Now, for the Jewish mind, that was thinking about the animal sacrifices. Of course, in our minds, we know that that our relationship with the Father has been restored through the sacrifice, through the Paschal Lamb, Jesus Christ. But what the people are declaring that day, what John is reminding us of and has documented, is that the people were thinking about Passover. They were thinking about sacrifice. They were thinking about reconnection with God. And then they also shout, blessed is the King of Israel. So the first part would have been very much about 
Passover, but also linking into the fact that the people that day would have known that in 164 BC, so that's after, long after the writing of Psalm 118, in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a 300 or so year gap. And in that period, there's this period of conflict. And Judas Maccabeus overcame the pagan armies that had laid siege and occupied Jerusalem. And he came in and by sheer physical military might, he overcame the pagan invaders. He cleansed the temple. They'd put a lot of pagan imagery in the temple and the temple was cleansed of all of that stuff. And what did the people do the day Judas Maccabeus rode into Jerusalem? They cut off palm branches and they waved them in the air. So what people were doing that day were two things. They were remembering Psalm 118, the song of praise, the sacrifice, going to the temple, to the place of sacrifice and the restored place of worship. They were remembering in their history only 164 years before how they'd been liberated again, and this time by the man who became king, Judas Maccabeus, 164 years before the birth of Christ. So it's important for us to understand that in this, the celebration of that victory by Judas Maccabeus, which is Hanukkah in the Jewish calendar that happens in winter. And so what was really happening was it was like, it was like Christmas and it was like Easter all rolled into one. And what John is telling us is that in Jesus, not just Hanukkah, the winter festival, and Passover, the spring festival, but in fact, everything to do with Jewish festivals, every Jewish hope is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. It's no wonder the disciples were confused. Everything seemed to be coming together in one day. It was only much later after the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit that the disciples understood what this was all about. It was about a victory celebration. It was about a sacrifice. It was about cleansing of the temple. It was about kingship. It was about all these things, things that the early disciples came to understand and we understand because of our Christian heritage, because of all that Scripture tells us. We know how Jesus achieved all this. We have the gift of hindsight looking back, understanding that this has been brought about because of the greatest shock of all, that the king laid down his life for his subjects. And he did it to reconcile heaven and earth, to bring about this emerging new heaven and new earth, a new creation. Nothing less, as John tells us at the start of the gospel, than a new heaven and a new earth that the old is gone and the new has come. As Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. Of course, the people who were waving palm branches and shouting Hosanna that day were not the rich and powerful. They were the poor and the powerless. At the start of his proclamation of the kingdom, which was proclaiming what had already begun to take place because Jesus had been born into the world and he was standing before them this day in the synagogue. We read about it in in Luke chapter 4 and he reads words from Isaiah 61 and he declares for them what this is all about, why he has come. The Spirit of the Lord is on me 
because the Lord has anointed me to preach and proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of the, the ashes of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. They are the poor. They are the brokenhearted, the captives, the prisoners. They are the ones who become oaks of righteousness. It is they who rebuild the ancient cities. In the kingdom of God, the kingdom itself, the rule of God, the the way God is working is not just towards the poor and for the poor. It's a journey with the poor because it is the poor who are made rich. It is the powerless who are empowered, and it is they who rebuild the ancient ruins. It is they who restore the, who restore the places long devastated. The reality is that everyone is impoverished. Everyone needs to respond to God. It is only through Jesus Christ the poor inherit God's riches. Blessed are you who are poor, said Jesus, for yours is the kingdom of God. Poverty comes in all sorts of different guises, all sorts of aspects. There's poverty, physical poverty, material poverty, spiritual, mental, emotional, relational. There's all sorts of different poverty. But what the Lord is doing is coming to us as those who are poor, those who are impoverished, without God. And that's every single one of us if we're willing to accept it. Not just so that He can make us rich, but so that He can make us ones through whom He pours out His riches into others. And that richness is not simply a material, it's not even primarily a material richness. In fact, it may not even be a material richness. It is primarily to do with physical, spiritual, relational, and emotional. But we also know with that there comes order, there comes law, there comes obedience, there comes humility, there comes structure, there comes life, there comes a thriving of towns and cities and countries. But those are only outworkings of the spiritual richness that comes by having a living relationship with God our Father. The Apostle Peter summed up the work of Jesus like this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the power and with the Holy Spirit. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with them. The gospel story is all about Jesus again and again, encountering the brokenhearted, the enslaved, the sick, the indebted, the troubled, the bereaved, the disturbed, even dead people, and bringing life, hope, and healing to them. 
when he saw a crowd who were like sheep without a shepherd, he had compassion on them. He began to teach them many things that would bring liberty and life. Moved by compassion, he saw many sick people. For instance, two blind men outside Jericho. He touched their eyes. They were healed and immediately followed him. He fed thousands of people. 4,000 and more, we read in Matthew chapter 15. He had compassion on them. He didn't want them to go away hungry and faint. And so he fed them. This compassion is not just, they're not just moments of compassion. It's a movement of compassion. The Christian life is all about being caught up in a movement of compassion. The Spirit of God moved Jesus towards the poor to proclaim to them the good news of the kingdom of God. Not just because he came in order to minister to the poor, he came to advance his kingdom through the poor. Christ comes to us to save us, and that's not the end of the story. We are, we're saved to serve. We are brought into this relationship in order that we may stand with Jesus and for Jesus in order for the kingdom to grow, to be part of this wonderful work in and through and with as the poor being mobilized, that we are everyone, every day, everywhere on duty with God, bringing the life and vitality and forgiveness and joy and peace that comes through the presence of Christ in our lives. And Christ is in us the hope of glory. We may think that the logical human way for prosperity and freedom and life and order to come in a community is through the places of power, the centers of influence that we understand them to be. But the Bible tells us that's not the case. The Bible tells us that actually where restoration comes from is not from the center. It's not from the places that we may understand as the centers of influence and wealth. And we can see that again and again, generation after generation, countless government after government may try a trickle-down economy or things like that in which we think that somehow if we make the wealthy wealthier, everybody will thrive. But that never works. What the Bible tells us is, if you want to restore a community, you go not to the center, you go to the margins. You go to the fringes. You go to the broken. You go to the edges of the field. Because it is there that God is primarily at work to restore life among us as it should be. God works in mysterious ways. And so he draws us by his Holy Spirit to those who are poor. Every single one of us has been in that place of deep spiritual poverty. But as he enriches us by saving us and rescuing us and working in us and through us, he mobilizes us that we may go to the fringes 
of society, the places of poverty, because it is there that the Spirit is at work, the Spirit of Christ, to bring restoration to our towns and our cities. They will restore the places long devastated. They will be the ones who restore the streets of this town. The people who bring restoration are those who are poor, who are made rich by Christ. Over this last year, the Lord's been reminding us of this. And if you remember last summer, we, we spent 40 days praying for the 150 streets around Bangor. We identified there are 4,200 or so homes in this central part of Bangor. We, we prayed over those streets. Some walked those streets and prayed them. And then we, we went out and delivered a card to offer free help with food and clothes and a, a prayer helpline. Then before Christmas, we went back out again. We, we delivered to each of those homes a card leading up to Christmas about light in the darkness and a gospel of John that reinforced that message. Well, in this next season, as we emerge from social mitigations between May and October, we're going to go out again. And this time, we're going to ring the bell and we're going to knock the door. And I believe God is going to do something powerful simply through us being ourselves who are followers of Jesus Christ, simply by embodying what the Lord would have say to this community, which is, I am with you. We are with you. And so we'll go with a gift in our hands, a little gift to bless. If the people aren't in in the house, we'll pop it through the door. We'll go out in twos. We'll ring the doorbell. Hopefully someone will come if they don't. Well, we'll have stepped back anyway. We'll do all this very safely. If they don't come to the door, we'll pop a little gift through the door so that we can express blessing to every household in the middle of Bangor. If they come to the door, and we hope they'll do, we'll stand there in twos and uh, we'll simply just be ourselves and say, hello, we're uh, part of the local church and We'll introduce ourselves and, and say, we're just here to give you a gift to bless you and to see how you're doing because it's been a really tough year. The conversations may be very short. The conversations may last for a few minutes. Some of them may go on longer. And in the midst of those conversations, our hope is that we may be able to ask the question, we want to be good neighbors to you as local church. What do you see as a need? What, what do you think that we as the church can be doing to bring blessing to this community, to bring blessing to you? And primarily what we're doing in this, as well as just representing the fact that God loves every single home, every single family, every single household, is just to listen to what people have to say. So you may be wondering, what would I say if I was part of this? Well, what would I say? Well, be assured the fact the main part of this is simply to give a gift, to give social distance, and to listen to what the people have to say. Because we want to know what are the perceived places of, of need and hunger. and We know what some of those may well be but there are some that we don't know and we want to hear 
And I think that it's speaking out of that challenge and of that pain and of that difficulty will actually bring a blessing to those whom we encounter. You may think, I, I really wouldn't know what to say. Well, we'll put you with someone who will ha- be happy to do the talking. And for many of us, our role will be simply to be quiet, to listen, to smile, and silently to pray God's blessing on the household. I think many of the conversations will just be a few minutes. Some of them may just be a few seconds. It will be a wonderful opportunity for us to go out and say, we are with you, and to hear what people have to say. But we also know that as we do that, Christ is in us the hope of glory. And we know that he will minister through us in all sorts of ways that we don't even realize, through our smiles, through our listening, through the very fact that someone cares enough to go to a door, give a gift, and say, how are you doing? And that in itself, I think, is a very profound and very powerful way to minister to this community. I imagine there will be times whenever we say, can we pray for you? Or we'll we'll pray for you. Perhaps the Lord may speak to us in some way that we may give a word of encouragement that is just the thing that that person needs to hear. Perhaps we can point them towards a a life skills course for Christians Against Poverty, which we're planning to run in the autumn time. That's about how to live well for less, how to look after your mental well-being, how to live well on a smaller budget, how to cook well and live a healthy life, how to find hope for now and for the future. All of these things we offer simply with hands that are there to bless. So let's be everyone, everywhere, every day in our day-to-day lives. And I just want to encourage you to get involved with this we are with you over these months ahead. There are all sorts of ways for us to get involved, all sorts of practical ways, prayerful ways. I want to encourage you, step forward as the moment comes over these weeks ahead and be involved with this because I think It is such a powerful moment for us, not just to minister with those who feel deeply impoverished, but also to be part of the move of God to actually rebuild from the outside in, from the margins to the center. And I believe that as we do that, we will continue to see that the Lord is fulfilling what he said that is recorded in Luke 4. They will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. The Christian life is one of compassion. It's one that is a journey with the poor. Christ rode into Jerusalem all those years ago not just to to ride in to where we are, but also to come into that place that we may go on an onward journey with Him, understanding that He would go to the cross, He would be raised to life, He would pour out His Holy Spirit. Why? So that we may be able to declare and know the truth of the fact, blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
today as you listen, you may be thinking, well, I, personally, I just feel like one of those poor people. I feel impoverished. I feel uh, oppressed. I feel weighed down with anxiety, with debt, with real concern about the future, with sickness, with a sense of lostness and what life is all about with a disappointment from broken relationships or heartache or whatever it happens to be, where well, the Lord is riding into your life today. Receive him with the words, Hosanna. The Lord saves. I believe that. I trust that. And receive him into your life. Only he can make order in the mess. Only he can bring mercy in the midst of brokenness. Only he can bring joy in the places of despair. But that's not the end of the story. Because the Lord sees not only our poverty, He sees our potential. He sees not only your poverty, He sees your potential. It is only in Christ you will find out why you are made and why you're here. So put your hand in His and go on the onward journey. And let's declare every one of us, every day, everywhere, that Christ is King. Let's go into this community over these months ahead and declare we are with you and Christ is with us and he is the hope of this world and he is the hope of this community and he is the hope of every person that we encounter. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of eternal life. We thank you for the gift that comes as we declare with our lips and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is King, Jesus Christ is Lord. Lord, we invite you afresh to do your work in us and also to do your work through us that we may be those who embody good news to those who are feeling empty and lost and impoverished. And all this we ask in Jesus' name.